You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Edgar Award-winning novelist and podcast host, Andrew Claven. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. I think that the modern sensibility and the, certainly the postmodern sensibility tells us that everything is self-referential, that if we have a certain feeling, it's because of our chemistry, it's because of our sexuality or urges that come within ourselves. But the older way of thinking is that we're in a relationship with a world that actually is reflected in our mind. And I think that older sensibility is probably closer to the truth. It explains a lot more. It makes a lot more sense of things. So as you say, as a writer, uh, every writer knows this, that he's not actually drawing so much from himself as some kind of literal inspiration, some kind of breathing into him that uh, connects him his own experiences, his childhood experiences, life experiences, his mental experiences with something that is very real outside him. And what he's trying to do in, in art, I think, is communicate that experience to other people in the only way possible. You can't describe it. You can't put adjectives into it. You have to dramatize it or paint a picture of it or write a song about it. That's the way human beings communicate the experience of being human. Resolved questions don't actually make for good drama and they don't actually help people on their own journeys. You know, if you just tell people that you have all the answers, which I don't, then you're first of all lying to them. And second of all, you're boring. And it's just a, a lecture and propaganda that you're giving people. No, I want, I wanted from the very beginning for Cameron Winter to be a person very uncertain about the nature of the metaphysical world. I found faith very, very late in life. And while it has been an incredible joy for me, a joyful journey, it remains a journey. You still are traveling. You don't suddenly think like, ah, now I've got it all figured out. So you still are aware of your own struggles. And the fact that it took me so long to come to a place where I could believe, I was 49 when I was baptized. And it meant that I went, I had gone down every stupid, wrong, obviously dishonest road. It was possible to go down. Uh, I was not somebody who converted at 19 and never changed my mind. I changed my mind a million times. And so I was aware of where all the dead ends. And that's really helpful because then at least, while I can't say to somebody, this is the answer, this is you know what you want, I can at least say, I know that this road ends here and this road ends there logically, morally, and emotionally. And that's been really helpful to me. I mean, I always compare, you use your character like a little bit of yeast because each character you're writing is different. They have different ways of talking, different ways of seeing the world, different, totally different opinions than yours. And it can't be that everyone whose opinion is different from yours is the bad person and everyone who agrees with you is a good person. That's not the way life works. So you have to just take a little bit of yourself to bring them to life in each case. And if you've had enough experiences I have of, of trying out different things, you can actually do that more easily and populate your work with much more different kinds of people. I spoke to firemen about how they do their jobs, of course, but also when I was a young man, I was a reporter and it was urgently important to me uh, as a guy who wanted to be a writer to see everything. And I remember once covering a, a burning house uh, and arriving before the firemen got there because we would do that to get pictures. And I actually ran into the house without thinking to see what it was like to be in a building. There was this sense of slowness and detachment that I remember very, very well, the sense that I was invulnerable somehow that I was separated from the actual scene of the fire. And I relied on that too. But Guerrero, the fireman himself, is a man of faith. And when he finds himself in that slow moment, that slow detached moment, he sinks into his faith as, as into a protective armor and it guides him through the horror that follows. Hard to convince anybody of this nowadays, but life isn't actually about you know how many likes you get on your social media. It's not about money. It's not about how many different people you sleep with. It's really about the experience of being here and how deep and rich and joyful 
it can be and whether it is deep and rich and joyful enough today that you don't want to be better tomorrow. I'm not against AI. I'm not against technology. I'm not against enhanced. You know, we all have enhanced bodies. You wear glasses. I wear glasses. That enhances your body. But you want to enhance yourself in such a way that you are following your humanity to the next step. There's no reason that tools can't improve your humanity, but to go beyond your humanity or away from your humanity is a mistake. And so until we ask ourselves these central basic questions, what am I? What am I doing here? How can we know whether we should use a machine or not? Because there's always going to be some billionaire idiot who thinks he's the smartest person on earth telling us we've got to implant this thing in our brain or we're going to be less than the guy next to us. Well, I'm sure people with very, very high IQs who are deficient in other ways, deficient in compassion. I mean, I, I, I've met a million mothers and homemakers who know more about love and compassion and, and the things that are necessary to make life than some tech genius who can't feel anything because he's autistic, you know? So if you tell me, oh, you're going to put something in my head and it's going to give me a higher IQ, that's enticing. But what's it going to take away from me? Until I know what I am and what I'm supposed to be and what my project is, how can I know whether I should use a machine on my body or not. I mean, just us looking at one another, even though we're far apart, we see a million things in one another. You know, you can tell whether a person has kindness, whether a person has compassion, whether a person has any depth at all. You can see that in their face when they sit down in front of you in the first moment. And I don't think something that just reads your face is going to be able to do that. I don't know, ultimately, whether we'll be able to create human beings, but AI is not a human being. And to look forward to a post-humanity, again, is to look forward to death. And I look forward to life. I actually believe that life is what life is all about. And I think the greater, you know, this is the promise of the Christian Bible is I want you to have life in abundance. I want you to have abundant life. And that to me seems like a goal worth having rather than a machine that does a chore better than I can. Well, I think the question that we in some ways stopped asking or started to allow other people to ask and answer for us is what is, it, what is a person? What is a man? What is a woman? What is their goal from the day they're born to the day they die? What's the purpose of being human? And when I listen to people talk about AI, especially the techies who talk about AI, they sound to me like they're talking complete nonsense. They say, well, one day AI will be a human. And you think, well, first of all, they have, it has no flesh. So how can it be human? That's what we are. We're something that grows old, that rots, that dies, that feels, that becomes excited, that becomes ill, that feels good, and has the, the fact that they're feeling healthy affects their entire way of looking at the world. You know, what does it mean to be human? It's not to just have a lot of information in your head. The way that artificial intelligence thinks is not the way human beings think. And so there, there comes a point where people, especially in a world where people can become so powerful and so rich and so detached from the ordinary risks and dangers of a normal human being's life that they begin to conceive of themselves as more powerful than other people, more important than other people, wiser than other people, when all of the results that they produce seem to be disastrous. And so that you think they'd get a clue that actually, no, they're not any wiser than anyone else. That's a, it's a real danger that we face when our machinery, you know, you can go on to Google, for example, and they will curate the answer to your question. And it never occurs to them to say, who am I? to curate the answer to your question. Why don't I just let the machine speak as it would speak, you know, and just pick out things at random or according to what the most popular thing is or whatever it is. But instead, no, they actually guide you and guide your thoughts and guide your answers. 
And that really raises this question, who are they? Who do they think they are, that they are there to guide you? You know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, a man who has a very, very high IQ. And I said to him, you know, a mother with a baby at her breast knows something that you will never know. And that's important to remember when you're talking to someone who cleans the bathrooms at the airport or sweeps the street or builds furniture or writes books or, you know, is president of the United States. The lived experience is limited. Your lived experience is limited. It's not something that you can make all kinds of large assumptions from, but it is a kind of knowledge that other people don't have. And I think that's the kind of thing I was struggling with in the previous novel, A Strange Habit of Mind, is a guy who basically runs a kind of Twitter-like platform, uh, you know, a social media platform, and starts to control what people hear and what they think, and then moves from that to trying to control people's lives in other dangerous ways. And, and Cameron Winter and he sort of get into this massive battle between the two of them, a battle of wits to figure out uh, what kind of idea of the human being is going to survive. So when you talk, you know, you had a wonderful, that's a wonderful story about going to AI and asking if, if there's a God, because the thing is, you, what you first have to ask is, what am I here for? Where am I going to get the kinds of answers that I need that are going to make my life joyful, by which I mean full of gusto. I don't mean happy, like a face with a big smile on it. I mean, what is going to make my life a vital life full of energy and joy at its deepest level? And if you don't ask yourself that question first, going to AI and asking is not going to get you very far. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.